You are listening to audio from First Baptist Church in Fort Walton Beach. If you would like more resources or to watch our service online, please visit fbcfwb.org. Listen in as Pastor Wade helps us abide in Christ and advance the gospel through the teaching and the proclamation of God's Word. The reality of spiritual warfare can be unsettling. In this series, I've been reminding you over and over again that we have an unseen enemy. The Bible says the devil is a roaring lion seeking those whom he can devour. The Bible says that Satan is a thief who comes to steal and kill and destroy. Satan and his demons, the evil realm, is bent on destroying you and me. And the reality of that can be a bit unsettling, a bit daunting, a little bit scary. And yet, God doesn't want us to cower. God doesn't call us to inactivity. He calls us to engage in spiritual warfare For the sake of the kingdom of God. Not in fear, but courageously. But we've got to be careful. Our courage, our confidence is not in ourselves. The Bible is very clear in Ephesians chapter 6. We're to stand in the strength of the Lord, putting on the armor of God, the spiritual resources we have in Christ. And here's what I want you to to take away from our time together this morning. If you understand the resources that you have in Christ, you will engage in spiritual battle, not in fear and intimidation, but with confidence. So keeping that in mind, I want you to look with me in Ephesians chapter 6. We are continuing our study Line by line, verse by verse, this wonderful letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a group of Christians in the first century city of Ephesus. Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to begin reading in verse 13 and go down through verse 18. I want to ask you this morning, if you're physically able to please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word. Paul writes, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, in all circumstances, Take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit 
with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Let's pray together this morning. Father, as you meet with us this morning, I pray that by your grace and by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would deliver us from going through the motions. Help us to understand that this moment is an encounter with the living God. That you are using your word to speak to your people. And God, I pray that we will be listening. I pray that we will be expectant. I pray that we will be surrendered to your will and to your way, letting you work in and through us. Lord, would you change our lives for the glory of King Jesus. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Paul begins this section of his letter to the church at Ephesus with the word finally in verse 10. He's getting ready to bring this letter to a close, but before he does, he spends focused time on helping the believers in Ephesus to understand what spiritual warfare is all about, that they might be armed and equipped against the enemy. And he mentions in this passage the armor of God. The armor of God is simply a metaphor for the spiritual resources that are available to us through Christ. There are five pieces of defensive armor that we've been working through and two offensive weapons that we are to employ. So when you put those together, there are seven essentials for spiritual battles. We've been walking through those seven essentials. For example, we talked about the belt of truth. The takeaway was we need to know and deploy truth to win spiritual battles. We talked last week about the breastplate of righteousness. The takeaway was in the midst of spiritual warfare, you need to be right with God. We talked last week about the shoes of readiness. And our takeaway was as you battle, you must remember you have a powerful message to stand on and to share. But this morning I want to look at The two final pieces of defensive armor. We'll get to the weapons next week. But the the final two pieces are simply the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation. I want to talk about those two pieces of armor. First of all, I want to focus on the shield of faith. Notice what it says there in verse 16. The Bible says, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. I want to discuss the shield of faith under two headings. First of all, I want to talk about the need for a shield. The need for a shield. It mentions there that the shield of faith extinguishes the flaming darts of the evil one. So This speaks of Satan's strategy to come against God's people, and to come against all people. Now, growing up at Burton Baptist Church, I don't remember a lot of sermons that my pastor preached. I can't tell you the verse references and the outlines that he used, but I remember vividly one sermon he preached about this passage. He was talking about 
the fiery darts of Satan. And F.T. Rogers, my pastor who led me to the Lord, was on the stage. I remember him going, Satan throws those darts. He throws those darts. He throws those darts. And I remember that vividly from my time growing up in church. And this passage is, is helping us to awaken to the fact that Satan is on the attack. In fact, if you look in your notes, Satan is very effective at throwing destructive darts of evil accusation and deceit. He's constantly throwing those darts into our lives, and most of them come into our lives by the way of our mind. These darts, these attacks of Satan, are meant to mislead or to cause misery or sidetrack us or lure us toward wrong behavior. For example... When people are depressed, Satan loves to whisper, there's no hope. And it isn't interesting that though the Bible calls Satan a roaring lion, that his most effective work is done through a whisper. And he loves to sit on the shoulder of someone who is depressed And whisper, there's no hope. This darkness will not lift. There's nothing to look forward to. Nothing to rejoice in. This is your state in life. In fact, I was thinking about this and I've been seeing uh, in in media a, a proliferation of videos of young people fighting. I don't know if you've seen these lately. They're, they're all over the place now. It's, it's very disturbing. And usually what it entails is it entails a bunch of students, young people, in a school or on the streets, filming a fight, watching some young person get, get beat up in very serious ways. And then those videos are shared. They're shared through social media. Before you know it, it's all over the Internet. And a kid that's been bullied or mistreated or hurt, their life goes before a watching world. We wonder why there's so much teen suicide. Because Satan loves to step into a situation like that and whisper, there's no hope. Among young people these days, one teenager will have a compromising picture of another teenager and it will be texted all over the place. It will be all over the school before you know it. And that that teenager who has a picture of themselves all over the internet, all over social media in a compromising way, an embarrassing way, thinks there's no hope. And Satan whispers, you're right. There's no hope. By the way, I was thinking about this and I was thinking about our teenagers here at our church and teenagers in our families. And listen to me, I'm praying for a generation of young people that will grow up here in our families, in our church, that will be defenders of the weak, that will lift up the lowly, that will sit by the outcast at lunch. I'm talking about some spirit-filled young people that care about others. That's what we need in our world, amen? Amen. But Satan loves to step into that kind of 
that kind of situation and whisper, there's no hope. When people feel lonely, Satan loves to whisper that no one cares. When people are intimidated by life circumstances, Satan loves to whisper fearful thoughts into their ear. When people are anxious, he loves to whisper that their problems are bigger than their God. When people are suffering, he loves to whisper, Does God really love you? When people have to make a choice between right and wrong, Satan loves to whisper tempting thoughts in their ear. When people feel passion for the Lord welling up inside them and want to do great things for them, Satan, uh, for him, Satan whispers, Who do you think you are? And notice the phrase at the beginning of verse 16. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. That means... We need to be ready all the time for these fiery darts. Because Satan can throw those darts when times are dark and things are bleak. And and Satan can throw those darts when the sun is shining and everything is going great. Satan can throw those darts at the most unexpected of times. Have you ever had a crazy thought go through your mind? You're just minding your own business, doing your own thing, and all of a sudden there's this awful thought in your mind. Satan... That's what he does. And so we need to be ready at all times for these fiery darts where Satan loves to whisper misleading things in our ear. Warren Wiersbe writes, Satan shoots fiery darts at our hearts and minds, lies, blasphemous thoughts, hateful thoughts about others, doubts, burning desires for sin. If we do not by faith quench these darts... They will light a fire within and we will disobey God. We never, listen, we never know when Satan will shoot a dart at us. So we must always walk by faith and use the shield of faith. So we see here the need for the shield. Satan is throwing fiery darts of evil at all times in all circumstances. So that leads us to the second heading, the use of the shield. He mentions there we're to take up. The shield of faith. Now that word shield is an interesting word because there are two different types of shields that Roman soldiers would use. Ostensibly here, Paul is talking about the armor of a Roman soldier. He was a Roman citizen under Roman guard as he writes this letter. And so he's thinking about the shield that the Roman soldiers used. There was a small round shield that a Roman soldier would use in hand-to-hand combat. It was meant to be able to move around, to be mobile as they swung their sword or or used their spear. They would use that shield to deflect the attacks of the enemy in a close quarters type of combat. But that's not the word here translated shield. The word here translated shield speaks of the other kind of shield Roman soldiers used. It was a, a long oblong shield that would cover most of the body. It was about four or four and a half feet long and about two feet wide. This was a big shield. And when the the Roman soldier would get behind it and crouch down, it would cover the entire body. And not only that, when Roman soldiers would advance in rows against the enemy, they would 
put their shields together. So the enemy was facing an impenetrable, solid wall of shields. This was called a Roman phalanx. That's what that uh, word means. It was, it was terrifying to the enemy. The, the Romans were marching towards you, shields all around them. You couldn't get to them with your weapons. And here they come. It was terrifying. And that's the word he's using here. Not a small, round shield for hand-to-hand combat. A large shield that covers you. And he calls it here the shield of faith. The shield of faith. So faith is the spiritual resource that defends us against the flaming attacks of Satan. It is faith that, he says, extinguishes the fiery darts of the evil one. In this day and time, the first century, people would attack people with shields. If they had wooden shields, they would shoot fiery arrows in hope of setting the shields on fire. And Paul's saying, if your shield is a shield of faith, it will extinguish the fiery darts of Satan. And so what do we learn from this? We learn that we protect ourselves from Satan's attacks by employing faith. Let me say it again. We protect ourselves from Satan's attacks by employing faith. Now you may ask the question, well, what is faith? Here's a, a good definition of faith. Faith is confidence in God's truth and the application of God's truth. Faith is the confidence in God's truth and application of God's truth. Faith is taking God at his word and acting accordingly. It's believing what God says and letting what God says influence your life. That's what biblical faith is. James Montgomery Boyce, when looking at this shield of faith, wrote that there's three things our faith should do. And I, I thought this was so good I wanted to share it with you. First of all, he says, it should cover us so that not a portion is exposed. He's speaking there of the large oblong shield that the Greek word is mentioning here in Ephesians chapter 6. So our faith should cover us completely. And then he says, our faith should link up with the faith of others to to, to present a solid wall of defense. So that Roman phalanx, they would would put their shields together and march as one unit. So here's the the point that Boyce is making. He's saying when you get your faith and stand beside someone else that has their faith and someone else that has their faith and you get together, you're stronger against the attacks of the enemy. That's why it's so important that we get together. That's why it's so important we have community. That's why it's so important we gather for worship. When we get in small groups and we have Bible studies and D groups and other relationships because when we get together, our faith is getting together and we are protecting each other from the fiery darts of the evil one. Then Boyce says, Because our faith covers our entire person and links up with the faith of our fellow soldiers, it should be able to strike down whatever fiery arrows the enemy hurls at us. Satan loves to whisper lies. He loves to destroy by throwing fiery arrows of evil. Therefore, we need to employ our faith. Believing what God's word says and acting accordingly. So when Satan whispers, there's no hope. 
you can rejoice that 1 Peter 1.3 says, we have a living hope in a risen Savior. When Satan whispers that no one cares, you can remember that God will never leave you nor forsake you, as it says in Hebrews 13.5. When Satan causes you to fear what is happening in your life, you can remember Psalm 56.3, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. When Satan stirs up anxious thoughts in your mind, you can claim the promise that if God watches over the sparrows, that means he's watching over you. Matthew 6, 25 and 26. When Satan causes you to doubt God's love for you, you can rest in Romans 5, 8, knowing that God has proven his love for you in that he has given his son to die in your place. You never have to doubt the love of God. It's written in the nail prints on Jesus' hands. That's how much you are loved. Even when you are suffering, the cross declares over your life, you are loved by God. When Satan is luring your mind toward that which is wrong and sinful, you can raise up the shield of faith knowing that God has provided a way of escape, as it says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. When Satan whispers, who do you think you are? You can rejoice that the word proclaims that you are a child of God, bought by the precious blood of Christ, filled with his Holy Spirit, an instrument in the hands of a mighty God. You stand in the truth of your identity in Christ, not what Satan whispers. Enough complacency, enough apathy. We are called to be instruments in the hands of a mighty God. Amen? That's what the Bible says. That's faith in action. So here's the takeaway. Trust in God's promises and knowledge of His truth protects us from Satan's vicious attacks on our minds. Trust in God's promises and knowledge of His truth protects us from Satan's vicious attacks on our minds. There's no way to quantify the importance of the armor here. All of the resources we have in Christ are vital if we're going to stand in spiritual victory in the, the spiritual battles that we encounter. But it, in our day and time, in our current cultural climate, as I think about what's going on in the church and in Christians' lives and families' lives, this shield of faith feels really important, doesn't it? This, this just feels critical, doesn't it? That we learn to take up that shield to put out the fiery arrows of Satan. But I want to talk to you about the helmet of salvation, the fifth piece of spiritual armor, the fifth the fifth resource we have in Christ, essential we have in Christ. Very quickly, look what it says in verse 17. He says, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation. Now, notice the context here. He's writing to the church in Ephesus. He's writing to believers 
gathered together in a local assembly in that city in Asia Minor. So he's writing to Christians. So he's saying something like this. When you engage the enemy in battle, when spiritual warfare comes knocking on your door, and it will, it's good to know that you're saved. It's good to know that you're saved. The, the helmet of salvation, you know, a helmet protect, protects your, 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 your head, your, your, your brain. It's vital to have a helmet to protect you from, from head trauma. And he's saying, if you are a Christian, you have the helmet of salvation, ultimate protection in the battle. We get some insight into this helmet as we look at some other ways it's used. First of all, this armor reminds us of our conquering Savior. Over in Isaiah 59, 17, Isaiah prophesies that the Lord's going to come to bring salvation. And it says there that He, the Lord who comes to save, Jesus, He put on righteousness as a breastplate, sound familiar? And a helmet of salvation on His head. In other words, the one who comes to save has this helmet on. He's coming to bring salvation. This allusion to Isaiah 59, 17 reminds us that as we engage in spiritual warfare, we have a Savior who is already won. He's already paid it all. He's already defeated death. He is reigning over the universe. He is a victorious Savior. He has that helmet of salvation on. And when you embrace Him as your personal Lord and Savior, He puts that helmet on you. You are safe and secure. You are saved. You are delivered. You are forgiven. You are set free. You have a relationship with God. You are in the hands of Christ. And nothing and no one can snatch you from His hands. This armor reminds us of our conquering Savior, but secondly, this armor reminds us of our ultimate victory. Paul uses the same imagery over in 1 Thessalonians, and he adds a, a word when talking about the helmet of salvation. He writes, But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love. And for a helmet, listen, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul's saying there in 1 Thessalonians, I think he has the same idea in mind here in Ephesians, that as you engage in spiritual conflict, remember when it's all said and done, you're saved. You go to heaven when you die. You have a relationship with God, and that will never change Satan can, can wound us. Satan can afflict us. Demons can affect us. But nothing can change our status as blood-bought children of God. We have salvation in Christ and that will not change. This armor reminds us of our ultimate victory, the, the helmet of the hope of salvation. We have hope as we battle. So here's the takeaway. God's saving work gives us confidence in the fight. God's saving work through Christ, the fact that he 
delivers us and saves us and redeems us. The fact that we're born again through Jesus, that gives us confidence in the fight. And as I've studied these, these essentials in spiritual battle, the armor of God, I've just become more and more convinced that they're about confidence. Understanding our resources in Christ. For example, the belt of truth gives us confidence that God's truth is a sure foundation that keeps us from falling prey to Satan. The breastplate of righteousness gives us confidence that we are right with God. The shoes of righteous or shoes of peace give us confidence that we can have a powerful message. The shield of faith gives us confidence that God's truth extinguishes Satan's fiery lies. And the helmet of salvation gives us confidence that we are on the winning team. Confidence. Understand what it means to be a Christian. Understand who you are in Christ. Or let me say it like this. Now I want you to keep this in mind. When you're engaged in spiritual warfare, and you probably will be tomorrow, and probably on your way home today. Keep this in mind. We don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. The victory's already been won. We're on the winning team. We can have confidence. Some of you guys are golfers. And, uh, and you play a lot, so you're good. Better than me. And if I played you, just me versus you, a lot of you golfers in here would soundly defeat me. In fact, by the time the round is over, I may not have any balls left to play with. All right? That's how bad it is. But you know, there's a golfer from this area, so this is not beyond the realm of possibility. There's a golfer, Bubba Watson, he's over from, you know, just west of us here, Baghdad. And let's just say that we were playing two-man scramble, two men versus two men, and I had on my team Bubba Watson, and we were playing best ball. All right? I would basically just be driving the cart around. But I would walk through that round of golf with my head held high. Confidence that I was going to win. Not because I'm a good golfer. Trust me, I'm not. But because who, the one who's on my team. A professional golfer. I would not be playing for victory. The victory is going to be won. I'd be playing from victory. And that's the way it is in spiritual warfare. We can have confidence, not because we're strong, not because we're wise, not because we bring a lot spiritually to the table. We can have confidence because of who our God is, amen? Because of who our Savior is. He's won the victory, and that gives us confidence in the fight. Thank you for listening. We pray you've been encouraged and inspired by God's word. May the Lord richly bless you.